Welcome, Cheeky Goddesses. This is Michelle Moss and Lauren Mazadonsky with Cheeky Vibe, Peaceful Life. Today we are interviewing a friend of ours, Corey Miner Smith, who is an author and an attorney, and she's got a, a long list of good stuff that she does out there, and she's also a big advocate for mental health. So we're going to interview her today, and we're going to just kind of go through some things that we're all going through in the middle of this um, crisis in the world and, and kind of get a, a, um, a feel for where we're at and, and where Corey's at and what she's going through and, and kind of how she's overcome things in the past and how she can um, help us as cheeky goddesses to figure out maybe something she has to say can help us. So welcome, Corey. We're glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be with you both. Good. And again, so our goddesses know we are, this is our second or third time that Lauren and I has, have done this remotely because of the quarantine situation. So we are all at our own homes. Corey's in her home. Lauren's in her home. I'm in mine. Um, and we've had some technical difficulties because, you know, I'm an old dog and I'm still learning new tricks, but we're never too old to learn, right? No, we learn every day. <laughs> and so Corey has been patient with us as we um, navigate our way through learning this, um, this situation. So um, just kind of go, go for right now. What's, what's going on in your life? And, and then, well, let me start with Lauren. Lauren, what's going on with you? And then we'll get to Corey and then we'll start her story. Oh, just navigating this staying at home, what that looks like. I saw, the I saw you were a teacher today. <laughs> well, that's a new struggle in itself. There were so many people getting on the website that it was actually, like, I think flooded and it didn't work. So we didn't have to do as much schooling. So it's every day is something new. So one day at a time. Good. What about you, Corey? What's been going on um, during this time of social distancing or, or physical distancing? Yeah, physical distancing. Well, my agency is still open. Uh, it's just not open to the public. It's a public housing and we provide an essential governmental function uh, in housing. So, so what we is, are there. What is your agency? What is, your, what, is it, what is it that you do? Yes, I'm general counsel for Stark Metropolitan Housing Authority. And so we provide housing, public housing that's uh, subsidized by the federal government uh, in regards to the rent and things of that nature. And so our agency is open, but not open to the public. So we meet with residents um, and or participants and others via phone conferences and things, email, just not in person. But our services are open and our agency is open. So you're, you're out in the public, but not necessarily coming in direct contact. Direct contact, all the time. correct, Good. correct. So do you feel safe in what you're doing? Well, you know what? Just going to the store, I'm not totally comfortable. I am in and out. <laughs> so I just prefer to be at home. And uh, right now, in just there's so much conflicting information. And I, I just want to do my part in helping the healthcare system not to be overwhelmed with um, unnecessary matters or things that can be um, serviced at another time. And for those who really need the services to be able to go in and have the medical attention that they need. And those with um, pre-existing conditions, you know, it's very difficult for them right now, even getting prescriptions due to this pandemic that we're facing right now. Right. And I think you're right. There are a lot of mixed messages that we as the public get, mm -hmm. which kind of, I think, increases our anxiety 
and our you know stress level because we don't know what to to buy into or what to think about so right it's it important for people to do their own research yes and to um you know just compare the sources of information and make their own conclusions and do what's best for the person him or herself as well as for their family right and and we did talk about in a couple different podcasts to um you know, look to the CDC, to the World Health Organization, to look to our governor, to look to reputable resources. Right. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, if you're trolling through Facebook, you're going to get some information. <laughs> that may not be right. 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 Very confusing. So, um, Corey, what made you decide to share your story on Cheeky by Peaceful Life? Well, I look forward to any opportunity to share information in hopes that it helps others. Um, primarily to reduce the stigma associated with mental illness and helping individuals to understand and know about the resources that are available in the community. So I really appreciate uh, Cheeky Goddesses for the platform to provide information to the community because ultimately it seems uh, that you want to uh, be an uplift and an encourager in the community and hopefully the information we talk about today is something that individuals are able to use as a resource. Yes, we, we definitely want to, to inspire, to uplift, and to psychoeducate. That is our platform. So why is mental health so important for you? And what is that? Where does that come from? Yes. Well, my attraction to the mental health space uh, started with my mother. Um, she exhibited signs of, of some type of mental concerns, you know, early on. However, it wasn't until my teenage years where she was actually diagnosed, medically diagnosed uh, with severe mental illnesses. And from that time period, I just wanted to know more. I am her only child and doing whatever I could to help her. So my direct interaction with helping her is when she asked to live with me when I was in college. I was a junior at uh, Bowling Green State University and she came to live with me. And that's when I really had to understand and know the resources that were available in the community. Um, but it wasn't until my adult years that I realized um, that I should not try, my family and I should not try to do it alone, but to rely on the resources that are available in the community. So rolling it back to your teenage years or your younger years, did you notice as a little girl growing up with mama or even going into, you know, teenage years that there was something going on and what were those signs or, or symptoms, symptomology that you noticed? Mm -hmm. Well, my earliest childhood memory, I was about five. I know I started school in California. We moved there when I was like three or four. Uh, so it was between the age of three to five that my mother um, first exhibited something that I could look back on now and say that probably was a mental health concern. Um, you remember was, that? Oh, yeah. I can see it right now as I'm talking to you. Um, and it, I didn't really look back on that until my counseling in high school, the attempted counseling, because I did not, you know, complete the counseling that was suggested for me. Uh, but my father came to one of my sessions and he shared information that he recalled from our time in California. Um, so it just added to that. And then ultimately when I was about 13, 14 years old, when she was actually diagnosed, it kind of made more sense. Um, you know, at that time, my only word choice was that things were kind of weird because I didn't know how to describe what, what was going on. Um, but ultimately, as I learned more, researched more, and actually went through my master's program, 
in guidance and counseling to understand disorders, um, I have a better understanding. Do you think you went and got a master's degree in counseling for your own um, history or your own experiences? Was it to figure things out, do you think, or was that just always like a passion for you? I know that it was because I wanted to know more about my mother's illness, um, trying to understand it on a educational point, uh, you know, with research based information versus my first efforts to learn more was through pop culture. So there were movies that I was attracted to because it dealt with mental illness. And the first one being Out of Darkness, which is a movie, it was a TV movie starring Diana Ross. And it came on my sophomore year. So this was before my mother asked to live with me. But it attracted me because it was this woman who had a daughter and they lived with the grandmother. And it was similar to my story. And I just wanted to know, what did the family do? How did the family help, if at all? And so that was my first introduction to this world of mental illness and trying to live um, a productive life, not only for myself, but also for my mother. So kind of, in some ways, looking for answers. Yes, absolutely. Looking for answers in, in TV movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and yeah. your degree, and your degree. So, so you were 20, 21 when mom said she wanted to live with you? Uh, actually, I think I was more like 19. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's a lot yeah. to put on a 19-year-old. What were your thoughts when she said, hey, Corey, <laughs> Can I move in? Well, absolutely. You know, what college student wants to live with their parent? That's the first part of it. But right. being that this was a special circumstance, you know, I'm not dealing with just a traditional or the normal uh, parent-child situation. Um, and me being her only child, I felt like I could not say no. So I, you know, said yes. Well, what what was it that you felt you couldn't? Was there guilt? Was it, was it family? Um loyalty what was it that made you feel like you know, or there was no other option she's my what, mom what? <laughs> she's my mom, mom. i just yeah. couldn't tell her no and I, I know that i'm her only child so i felt a certain obligation um to allow her not knowing what was in store because i did not fully have a full appreciation for her mental illness at that time I was in denial in some regards uh, regarding her symptoms that she had already clearly exhibited as well as being diagnosed when I was much younger. So um, that experience let me know that this is something that's real, you know, and, but I was still in denial. So how long after she moved in, did you go and look for resources and help? Well, unfortunately, there were a lot of different things that occurred before I sought help. Um, and I really don't even know how I found out about the help. Maybe it was through calling the police or whatever the case may be. But uh, my friend and I, we were roommates. Um, we ultimately became roommates. But we had this idea where, you know, my mom would move into her apartment and my friend would move in with me because it would help to, you know, create a buffer for um, the things that I was experiencing with my mother. Um, but it got to a point where my mother was not allowing me into the apartment anymore. And so I had to call upon others in the community, the police and uh, the ambulance, you know, 911. Uh, so they had to bust in the door because she was not opening the door and she was taken in and involuntarily committed. So what were some of the symptomology? What was the symptoms that were, okay, obviously not coming to the door, but what were the things that were like, 
ginormous red flags. Oh my gosh, this is not just mom's having a bad day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Staying in the room when she was still living with me, she would stay in the room in total darkness, uh, would not take care of her personal hygiene. Um, those were some of the main things. And then when she moved into the other apartment, you know, it was the same thing, but not doing the dishes, just the, the apartment was a mess, but it was always someone else who did it. Um, and then her personal hygiene severely declined and, uh, then not answering the door, you know, multiple days in a row. So I had to get help because I didn't know what was going on inside. So how did you cope during that time? Quite honestly, I believe that my self-preservation was not focusing on it, not denial. You know, yes. Denial, you not, a, not paying attention to it, just going on to the next thing. I had schoolwork to do. I was working um, as long as she was safe. I felt comfortable moving forward with what I had to do, which was to graduate. So how did you get from all of that to graduation? Well, <laughs> interestingly enough, there was another little uh, person that became <laughs> came into existence. I had my oldest son um, my senior year. So at that point, wait, I was wait, 21. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> senior year of college. Yes. Junior year, sophomore year, mom's asking you to live with you. And then you were having a baby senior year. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. And she was for a short period of time able to help, which was um, very, very helpful. However, her her behaviors became increasingly worse and I didn't feel so safe uh, because, again, she came to live with me again. um, And it got to a point where I was hiding any sharp object that I saw in, you know, the house. And I just didn't feel comfortable having her there. Um, so ultimately she was not able to, to live with me anymore. And just to get, put this in perspective, as far as the underlying fear or concern that I had when I was a sophomore in high school, my mother did attack me and I was in the court system. My paternal grandmother took me in, um, so that I didn't have to go into foster care. And I, there was a court order for me not to be around my mother and my father was, li- he still lived in California. So my fear is from that attack and it stayed with me throughout my adult life. And I tried to ignore it. I tried to, you know, not allow it to bother me. And I used to, you know, define it as unreasonable fear, but I had to come to grips with what it was. It's trauma, you know, PTSD. and I had to address it. Yeah. PTSD. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because I experienced symptoms such that I would wake up out of my sleep thinking that I hear my mom, you know, at the door, ringing the door, cussing and yelling because I've experienced that so much with her in my adult life. Like literally she would come to my house in the middle of the night doing those things. And it affected me so much that I would think that it was happening when it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And like that was scary. Yeah. Yeah wake woken awoken from sleep to hear that and the only reason why I would realize it wasn't real is because I didn't hear my mother's voice but the banging in the doorbell I thought that was so real it was so real to me and you know processing that through counseling counseling has helped tremendously uh for me that's good that's good for our goddesses to hear that counseling <laughs> is a good thing Yes. To go and get some help and get some, you know, insight. Because Absolutely. Probably a lot of insight 
Can and I... three times was a charm because when I was attacked, when my mother attacked me in high school, I was sent to counseling as a part of the, the court order or through the school. I didn't like it. I might have went to three sessions and I stopped going. And then I tried to, I attempted to go to counseling again when I was in law school. I didn't like it. <laughs> um, so I, I might have went to two sessions and I left it alone. And then the third time uh, I went when I agreed to go with my now ex-husband, we went as for marital counseling. Mm -hmm. And then I converted that to individual counseling and I still go today. And, and that helped you. So, Absolutely. So three different times. And one was one was court mandated because you were in the Department of Job and Family Services, you know, ch Children's Services that you were taken out of the home. Yes. And and then you said you were in law school and you went again. Yes. That third time. One more time. Were you trying to save your marriage in that third session? That third time it was it was an effort to save the marriage. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So what is the biggest thing? I mean, you've got a you've got a plethora here of stuff. <laughs> you are a yeah. strong woman. You are Thank an overcomer. You. But what is the biggest thing? Was it mom's mental health issues? Was it was it having a baby as a senior? Was it going to um, law school? Was it going through a divorce? What has been your biggest I can't say that any of them are the biggest thing. Um, really, that's really why the title of my book is hashtag driven, because through all of this stuff, I have remained committed to just moving forward, pressing forward with whatever my goals are that I establish. And that's the biggest thing that I want to share with other people, because life is going to have its challenges, whether it's medical challenges, health, you know, uh, physical or mental uh, work, divorce, children. Yep. There are going to be issues and life we have to learn how to manage them and keep pressing forward. Yep, life keeps coming. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But with the mental illness, it's so unique and special in that, you know, it's almost taboo to talk about it. There's so much stigma associated with it. And even when I was first asked to do presentations at schools, I used to not say what happened to my mother. I would just say, you know, she became sick and could no longer take care of me. So my grandmother took me in, but I found it to be so much more impactful to actually say what it is. It was mental illness. There are so many people, especially in the black community who where children are uh, taken out of the home or no longer living with their parents for whatever reason, their parents are absent and they end up living with their grandparents. Sometimes it's because of drugs or it's incarceration or whatever. And in my case, it's mental illness. And I feel it's important to say that because there are so many people that are impacted by mental illness. Like this pandemic, it is global. It is a global 365 issue and it's not going anywhere. It doesn't discriminate age, race, religion, gender. It doesn't discriminate. And we just need to understand that it is here. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And there, there are legitimate very effective, efficient organizations in our communities that are available that provide great programs and resources for not only the loved one who's living with mental illness, and in my case, severe mental illness, but the family and friends who are there to support it, their, their loved one. Um, because it is a very trying situation and it could be overwhelming, absolutely. 
And so it's important to know about the resources that are available in the community. And I definitely want to talk about those resources, but I do want to touch base a little bit more personally. Okay. You know, because I'm a therapist, you know. Yes. Don't take me in a session right now. (laughs) So how much of that past life, that, that growing up with a mother with mental illness and your drive to be driven and to ignore what's going on and just keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep busy, how much of that impacts you today or impacted your marriage or impacted your relationship with others, you know, just a little insight on that, because a lot of us do that. We bury the pain. We busy the pain. And Lauren always says, busy being busy. You know, we just just go. So we don't have to think our thinks and feel our feels. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about all that? Well, absolutely. It didn't take this pandemic for me to know and understand and appreciate that we do have to take time out. And I actually wrote a, 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 an article about hashtag time out because people always ask me, how do you keep going? How do you keep pushing forward? And the truth of it, you have to take a time out. And I, it was very difficult for me to do that. I felt like resting and all this self-care stuff. I didn't have time for that. I have stuff to do. And I need to keep moving well, forward. And, and when you keep being busy, you don't have to think about all the stuff that you're putting Right. My grandmother life. used to tell me that. She said that I kept busy in order to not think about the stuff that was happening in my life. And it wasn't until, I mean, really the last two or three years that I understand now the importance of taking time out, being quiet, being still. And using that time to do self-assessments and evaluating where you are on any particular aspect of your life and knowing how you're going to go forward. You know, even with goal setting, you know, every goal that you may have set last year may not be applicable in your life right now. You know, you have to reassess, reevaluate, and not be stuck on particular goals because that alone can be stressful. Right. So what do you do for self-compassion? Self-care. Lay in my bed. <laughs> you I go. Mean, seriously, that I, I would. I used to feel so guilty about that. I would, oh, yeah. like, what are you doing? You can't just lay here. Oh, like this past weekend, I laid and I. I am proud to say I watched Netflix movies because I've never done that before. I now have my own Netflix account and just taking time and enjoying not doing anything, not having anything on your schedule. And it's not that you have to do that every day or every weekend, but just allow yourself, give yourself permission to do it. And not feel guilty. Right. It's okay. (laughs) Right. You're busy enough. You're busy, busy, busy. And you are quite a successful young woman. Well, thank you. And you have to push the reset button, just like on our phones, you know, our phones, sometimes you have to turn them off. It's not working right. It's overloaded. It's hard to it's hard to do that though. I get it because if your if your goals are kind of what drives you and your success, it's hard to stop. Because then you're like, but I have this and this and this to do. That's like that was hard for me to acknowledge. Yeah. And it is true that when we're in a pandemic and we're all um, sequestered to home, you definitely have time. And we have a, a podcast coming out that's about how do we make the most of this and how do we grow, how do we thrive instead of surviving, which is right. really cool way to look at it. Okay. So I want you to talk a little bit about some of the organizations that helped you, helped your mother, helped you guys get through to a, to an even keel. And what are you still battling? So that's kind of a multi, multi-layer. Yeah, sure. My number one go-to is NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And we are so blessed here in Stark County to have a chapter. 
and they are providing some great programming right now, uh, starting in April. I recommend that people go to their website um, to find out when the sessions are, but they have peer-to-peer support groups as well as family support groups. Um, and they're just very helpful. And, you know, in light of this pandemic, they're available online or on the phone, something where you don't have to do the direct person-to-person interaction. So, you know, they're adapting to the circumstances we're in in order to still provide those services. And many of our organizations, um, like Coleman Professional Services, uh, Stark Mar, who funds a lot of different organizations, they are open in order to provide services for people because, you know, with having uh, mental health concerns, there are individuals whose symptoms are exasperated by the things that are going on right now. You know, you're already anxious, like you had mentioned, already anxious and maybe delusional. And this is just, you know, attributing to that even more, increasing it. Um, so having those services in place uh, helps them. So it and continues on with the continuity of it. You know, if they're used to going every week or every month, those services are still in place. So I named NAMI and uh, Coleman Professional Services. And above all, you know, even nationally, um, I recommend individuals, of course, NAMI because it is national, but the guardianship program to contact your local court, whether it's the probate court or whatever court uh, has the jurisdiction of guardianship processes that you find out if that's something that might be helpful for you and your family. My family and I, um, for the first time, we've been, you know, helping my mother for over 30 years now and this is the first time that we have actually gone through the whole process of the guardianship so she now has a guardian and what i found to be helpful in working with the different agencies that may be involved whether it's the one that's providing the housing like i can that's here locally mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. common professional services or one of the others that are funded um, like comquest whatever the service is that you understand and know who is on your loved one's treatment team. You know, unfortunately there is a high turnover rate and I advocate for funding to, you know, be able to increase the wages for individuals who work in these services because they are so valuable and they're dedicated to their work, but they have to make a living wage, you know, in order to support themselves and their families. But with that, knowing who those individuals are and keeping current contact information And what I ultimately found to be so, so helpful is to not just reach out for these services when you're in crisis, Mm -hmm. um, which is what I did for many, many years, uh, really recently, maybe the last two years. And I asked um, those on my mother's treatment team if we could meet like quarterly just to, you know, touch base. It doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. that there's a problem that we're just meeting, touch base, know who each other Um, are and understand what the treatment plan is, if we need to change it, medication, all of those different types of things. That's that's a really important thing. And that's, that's your right. And a lot of people are always, they can be afraid of asking for those things, but that's your right. And it's your mom's right to have her team and the meet and to ask for these things. And that's Mm -hmm. important to say. But with your loved one, you do have to make sure that they sign the release. You know, I've had situations where my mom, she may have a an attitude or just doesn't want to, but she'll not sign. But ultimately she knows, you know, she needs us as a part of helping her through and she will ultimately sign. But that's, that is important that the release is signed in order for the treatment team to be able to communicate with you. Absolutely. Being that she's an adult and all of that, that makes a difference. She has her right to privacy. (laughs) Yes. 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 Even though she's banging on your door sometimes (laughs) in the middle of the night. Yeah, well, so, thank God that that's not happening anymore, but it happened enough where it, it directly impacted me. 
Right. So, so is your mom in a safe place? I mean, I know we've discussed, we always talk a little bit before we record, but is your mom in a safe place or what's going on with where, where she's at now? Yes, she is in a safe place and we are looking for um, housing for her right now, but she has housing and it's just great being able to work with the organizations that also help and I could do my part in, in helping as much as I can, but I just think it's best to have a collaborative effort um, with the same goal and that is for her to be safe as well as anyone who you know is engaged in these services that their their loved one is safe and has a nice comfortable place to live and you know food and shelter just like anyone else and it also you know not not that you would not want that but it also gives you some freedom that you will you can have help it's not all on you you don't have to own all of it absolutely it's not 100% yours to own you have a team that helps you, which is what you're saying. This right. is that's so important to have support, a support network in place when there's mental health issues, mental illness, that you don't have to do it on your own. Right. There's all kinds of services out here in our community. And even during a pandemic, the doors right. are open. Maybe not to come in, but the, the computer, the screen is yes. open. You can contact people and, and still have things happening, you know, in, in the moment when it mm-hmm. is happening. So, right. That's, that's, that's amazing. So you tell your story. Um, you're telling us a little bit about it and um, you go into a little bit more detail. You have a book out, right? Yes. I, my book is called hashtag driven. It is a motivational memoir, but I use it as a resource for families and friends that have a loved one living with mental illness. And I'm now working on my children's book and it's called where's mommy. And it's a uh, addresses a little girl who has an absent parent that has mental illness. Um, and, Uh, kind of an adaptation from my life because I lived, um, I went to 14 different schools and lived in three states and eight different households. So it's just this little girl that wants to know where her mother is, but no one feels that she's old enough or will understand and don't want to tell her that her mother is in a mental institution. Um, And I think it's important to share that story because there are, like I said earlier, so many youth so many of our youth who have absent parents for whatever the reason is and they are able to understand and know and I have a greater appreciation for Mr. Rogers because he dealt with complicated issues on a child's level Mm -hmm. so it's not that the child doesn't understand or can't understand and not ready for it you know it's the way you present the information and I think it's important to touch on mental illness because a lot of our youth are experiencing mental illness and now we're able to identify it earlier. And I think it's important for parents to work with the schools as well as the pediatricians to help identify. And ultimately knowing that you don't have to have a mental illness to be concerned and care and manage your mental health. So you talked earlier about self-care. That is just a part of your mental health, your overall well-being, you know, a part of your physical health. And it's important to Minimize the stigma that way by changing the narrative. Your mental health is a part of your overall physical health. Right. We touch on that with, you know, we talked about our self theories, our self-awareness, our self-control and our self-compassion. And we also talk about the wellness wheel. Mm-hmm. You just said it. It's not just physical and mental. It's spiritual. It's, it's financial. It's, it's recreational. It's all those things that are a part of our wholeness. Right. We need to be working on all of those things. Can I ask you, was it very cathartic for you to write these books? Was that something that helped you get even more to the next insight the next level or was it just more about sharing your you know helping other people or is it both 
I would say it's all of that um, because it, it was very helpful. It's unbelievable, you know, for me to read my story. It's unbelievable that all of that is in one life. <laughs> you know, some people have experienced divorce or they experienced, you know, a death or whatever the situation. But for all of that in one life, it's just unbelievable. Um, but I am glad that I'm willing and was willing to to write it and ultimately for it to be able to help other people and primarily because I am talking about mental illness and it's something that people don't want to talk about. It's being talked about more and I'm on that side of talking about it more and taking action. So from right. talking about it, I now want to, you know, do my part in being able to testify before, you know, congressional bodies or state legislators uh, to advocate for funding um, for these organizations as well as treatment and identifying it separate and apart from addiction uh, to drugs and alcohol, although I know that there are dual diagnoses where individuals are involved in both things. And I had that experience with my mother as well and trying to find her treatment, um, but more so really not losing sight of the mental illness aspect of it all. So your way of um, what I'm hearing you say is overcoming was you know, you got some counseling multiple times, three times is a charm. You got support from a support network in the community. You've written these books. You've written these, the, you know, your story. And I, I know you also um, talk to schools. You talk to groups of, of teenagers and children and, and you've done a lot of things. Um, do you have a support network personally of your own because that's always a, an important part too <laughs> yes and before I got there as far as having my personal network I also participated in NAMI's uh, family support group I think it was like a 12-week course it was so informational and it was just a really good resource um, so I suggest individuals take part in that um, but as far as my network I have my top five uh, friends <laughs> that um, have been through this journey with me and understand and know things where they're able to give grounded, neutral information or guidance or just be a listening ear. And I truly appreciate that. But at the same time, I've learned to separate it because I found myself, as far as my very best friend who lives in Texas, putting it all on her. Like everything I had to say, I was saying it to her. And I felt like that was overwhelming and that I needed to, you know, use my counseling sessions more for that so that it didn't impact our friendship you know well that was insightful even just to, to to gather that I mean did she say something or did you just feel like oh wow I'm vomiting so much yeah. <laughs> I'm like it, it's so oh it's so hard to not me, to and I'm trying to give friend. her every detail so she could totally understand what's going on and I'm like, I just felt like that was too much to put on somebody every day because we talk to each other every day. And yeah. she would hear it all. Yeah. So and, you know, I, I really felt I needed to go, you know, take that to the counselor. <laughs> and, you know, that's interesting that you say that. Because I always say, if you have a friendship and one of the people are always giving you all their big stuff, it is a counseling session instead of a friendship because it's one-sided. So for you to recognize that and gain that insight and saying, oh, wait, I need to say this to my therapist yeah. and let my friend be my friend. I can say, man, I had a bad day, but it doesn't have to be every single detail. So that's pretty amazing that you could do yes. that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. We so appreciate you coming on this uh, podcast, Cheeky Vibe Peaceful Life. And, Thank and you. if you want to promote your book, Hashtag Driven, 
uh, by Corey Miner Smith. We are yes. so thrilled and, and pray for this advocacy to continue to grow and evolve and get funding and, and you know, be out even more help to people out in the community that have mental health issues. Yes. And I just want to share, you know, as far as NAMI's contact information, something real quick that can be done on the phone if anyone needed more information, but they can text NAMI, N-A-M-I to 741741 or simply go to the website NAMI.org. And also if you want to know more information about me, I'm at CoreyEmpowers.com. Is that where they can find your book? Yes, it's it on. Amazon? You can go to my website, CoreyEmpowers.com. You can also go to Amazon. Um, so, yep. And if they want to hear a nice song, because, you know, I had this really trying situation and I released it through song. <laughs> and it is also awesome. called Hashtag Driven. And that's available on all the music streaming down, wait, you know, downloads. Wait. wait yeah, you should play it to intro. <laughs> you sing? Yeah, I'm singing and rapping. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I well, love it. Can I tell you? I didn't know that. Can about I tell you, you that that goes beyond my scope? But we'll try to figure it out before we okay. release this podcast because we're learning every day. Yeah, you can listen to it on YouTube, but it's available on iTunes and all the other downloading streams. Yep, we will definitely listen, and I will see if we can figure out how to get that. <laughs> Lorna, Lauren's a young one; she's always figuring this stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> but again, we so appreciate you coming on and, and the, sh the story that you were willing to be vulnerable and share and the information that you're imparting to our community and to others who have these issues is so important and so empowering. So thank you, thank you. Corey Miner-Smith. Thank yes, you for having you me. So I appreciate the opportunity to share. Yes, thank you. And as always, stay cheeky, goddesses. Stay cheeky. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>